0: Unfortunately, within refugee agencies, uh, when they see a refugee with disabilities, I think there is a pause that, "Oh, oh my God, this person has health issues or some kind of disabilities, then we shouldn't be dealing with this case.
1: This is Kutsianaki, and welcome to Down to the Struts, the podcast about disability, design, and intersectionality. Today, we'll listen in on my conversation with Mustafa Rafat. Mustafa is a PhD candidate at Washington University in St. Louis. He came to the United States as a refugee in 2011. In 2022, Mustafa and his colleagues published an article entitled... A Scoping Review of Needs and Barriers to Achieving a Livable Life Among Refugees with Disabilities. Implications for Future Research, Practice, and Policy. A link to the article is available in the show notes. Mustafa and I talked about his experiences navigating the refugee process as a disabled refugee. We also talked about his concrete recommendations for resettlement agencies, disability service organizations, and policymakers for designing services that meet the intersectional needs of this population. I learned so much from this episode, and I think you will too. Okay, let's get down to it. Thank you so much, Mustafa, for being with me today. It's such a pleasure to have you.
0: Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I am very excited for this conversation.
1: Wonderful. Well, I'd love to start off um, if you could share a little bit about your story and your experience coming to the U.S. as a refugee.
0: I mean, un- unfortunately, as we are seeing currently on the news uh, from Ukraine, Afghanistan, and 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 from other countries around the world, agonizing stories of refugees and one of the consequences of war and violence is people leaving their homeland. And this may sound easy, but it is very, very painful. Getting prepared to leave, like things you built for years um, in a matter of days, I I think there is no word that can describe the situation. So for me I I became a refugee in in Turkey it was in 2010 however things were very very difficult because I I was I am a, a refugee with disabilities so I had a lot of health issues so I had to deal with like navigating this refugee process in Turkey. And on top of it, trying to find medications, trying to find doctors, you know, trying to deal with the pain I have. So it was very, very difficult. But the process is really you're entering in a system like you don't know when you will be getting resettled to a third country. Um, that process can take a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years. So, and, and that unknown part is so difficult to digest because you can't, you don't know. Um, it, it, it's so hard to like get used to, to your community there or, or a camp you're living. And there's a lot of disruptions for refugees with disabilities, for example, I remember how my health condition got exacerbated. And, and I remember how, how painful it was because of lack of access to healthcare. So, but I was lucky that I got resettled within a year uh, to United States. Uh, and and I, I got resettled in uh, Mobile, Alabama. So that was the first place I arrived. For me, I was alone. My family did not want to uh, leave uh, Iraq. So I I came to United States alone, and and that was very, very difficult because I did not have anyone to rely on. Um, And I, after resettling in Mobile, Alabama, um, you know, I got my basic needs where they gave me a shelter, they gave me food. Um, and, you know, the process started where applying for social security and other things. However, after about a month or two months, um, I noticed things were a little bit different for those who have disabilities. Um, so if you are a refugee without disabilities, you have, I don't want to say like smooth, but it's like a things are set up for you. Like you get to into some quick trainings, you apply for jobs and the refugee resettlement agencies are there to help you with that. But if you are a refugee with disabilities, that's a different story. There is a pause for you where the refugee agency is like well, we are going to help you um, find a doctor and probably help you apply for SSI. But after that, there is not much um, things that they can do for you. That's the moment where refugees with disabilities kinda fell in the crack and fell through the crack and it's, it's almost impossible to leave. Uh, and 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 continue your journey Uh, and uh, for me it was very very challenging I was very ambitious I wanted to go back to school I wanted to work I wanted to contribute contribute back to my community however in many many occasions um, I was like you know uh, even within refugee agencies were like, well, I'm sorry, it's, it's not easy to go back to school. It's not easy to work for someone in your situation. And in some situations, yes, they were right. You know, I even when I applied, I got denied many, many times trying to find employment. Um, when I tried to apply for school, I was bombarded with many bureaucratic processes that I had to go through applying for financial aid or finding college, finding programs. And and there is no one can help you through this process. Because of the unique identities you come with, you are a refugee, you are a person with disabilities. So you are more likely to experience discrimination, experience exclusion, stigma. And more importantly, you are more likely to experience, to be bombarded with these false informations that, oh, well, if you are receiving public assistance, you shouldn't be working, you shouldn't be going to school, because if you go, then you are more likely to lose your benefit. And I think that was one of the most difficult things that I had to overcome. So I, I I was able to finish... My bachelor's and my master's.
1: Mustafa, you really very clearly articulated the sort of dual precarity that a disabled refugee in particular finds themselves in. Um, And you laid that out really nicely from the time in which you are in a refugee camp in, you know, the second, you know, you're a second country to when you get to a safe third country. And you also really laid out the dual barriers and discrimination you face in your identity as a refugee, but then also in your identity as a disabled person trying to navigate things like education and employment, which are already extremely challenging for disabled people, even disabled people who are U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Based on your personal and your professional experiences, what are some of the things that could change in refugee policy, resettlement practice that could help address these dual precarities as a person is moving through the refugee process and resettlement process?
0: Yes. Um, So I think there are there are many, many things that needs to happen to make transition and integration of refugees with disabilities. Um, into our society I think the main one here in the United States is we have a we have a employment first approach and that is what it means is that when refugees get here within a couple of months we need to make them ready and we make them um, apply for for employment and and these policies, sidelines the unique needs of refugees with disabilities as someone who went through the system it took me almost two years to get access to a specialist to get my medication straightened up to just like get to know what what type of things i can do with my abilities and that is something that refugee agencies currently can't help you with because their funding is designed in a way where a person comes in, um, they need to make that person employable as soon as possible and then move them out of the system. But refugees with disabilities can't, can't go through this process as the like the, the like fast as other refugees. And many European nations and other Western countries have realized that and they change their policies. And for example, if you uh, resettled in Sweden and if you have special needs, you are more likely to get services, I think up to either two or five years until you get resettled, until you have your basic needs, and then you are able to move to have employment that's like gainful. Other thing, from what I see is that, um, unfortunately, within refugee agencies, uh, when they see a refugee with disabilities, I think there is a pause that, oh oh my God, this person has health issues or um, some, sar- some kind of disabilities, then we shouldn't be dealing with this case. Let the doctors deal with this case. So there is a lot of uh, medical model policies left within refugee policies. And so you are, uh, unfortunately, um, refugee agencies and and providers within uh, uh, refugee agencies saying, okay, you know, we need to be aware of the unique needs of refugees with disabilities in terms of, like, hey, how we can empower ourselves, understand how we can best help refugees with disabilities, or how we can reach out to disability agencies within our communities and understand how we can make referrals, how we can even, like, use simple empowering words. You know, and these simple things can make a big change for refugees with disabilities. And again, but I think like an inclusive refugee policies is urgently needed as we are seeing currently the United States uh, committing to accept thousands of refugees um, uh, from Ukraine, from all over the world. And I think this is a perfect time for us to, to see how we can include all the refugees with disabilities and make sure they are not coming to live in poverty, instead how we can like empower them to join the workforce, to become a productive member of society.
1: Those are really concrete pieces of advice. And another area in which you have great expertise is you've thought a lot about and worked really tirelessly inside of institutions of higher education and other types of educational institutions. How does the educational system in particular also play a role in inclusion, integration for disabled refugees in in your view?
0: I am very passionate about education. I believe education is the key to empowering refugees with disabilities. I, I will show you an email that I just got today. I am currently helping a refugee with disabilities access apply for college. However, we are encountering many issues. And and, and one of the issues is that this person applied for rehabilitation services and even current rehabilitation service policies do not recognize that dual identities, that we are going to have individuals who who might need access to language services first. So, for example, I'm currently helping a, a friend. Like we had a lot of challenging in convincing uh, rehabilitation services that this person needs uh, uh, education training first. Um, yes, this person can speak a little bit of English, but that person needs at least a year or two of uh, uh, of like. English le- English language uh, training where they can reach uh, an academic level uh, but because the the current rehabilitation policies do not see that oh we, w- we are going to have like a refugee with disabilities might need like language training and um, so I uh, when I helped this this friend we applied for like state scholarships and, Uh, These scholarships are designed for, some of them are designed for residents with disabilities. Again, the email I am getting is that we are sorry, our current programs are designed to help someone to apply for four-year colleges and not to help them with language training. But they don't see that the language training is a part of that education process. So because of this, you know, many refugees, it's it's very hard for them to access two years or four years college. And on top of that, and and unfortunately, um, again, I'm I'm going back to that collaboration between refugee agencies and education institutions, because when a refugee with disability apply for, for college, that college sees them as a citizen. If, if they have a permanent residency or they become a, a citizen so they seize them as a as a citizen so the, it's hard for the college to see okay you have a refugee background and you are disabled so we might need to connect you with some of the resources we have so that you can have a smooth transition to college. give you an example from my experience. I remember when I first started my um, college, my, my bachelor degree, two weeks into my first semester, I was hospitalized. You know, I was very excited. So I have back problems. I was putting my backpack and I was putting all these heavy books and I was like walking uh, around the campus. And West Virginia University is very steep very hill like so it's hard to walk and so i got sick and i was hospitalized and and i was like oh my god i this must be true that many people told me i can't go to college i can't do college and i i was i was actually gave up then my supervisor my advisor reached out to me Um, i was lucky i was in social work so she's like, "What's going on, Mustafa? You haven't been coming to class. Like, is everything okay?" I was like, "You know, I got sick. I I don't think I can continue my education." And so she invited me. Um, she, I was lucky that she had some experience working working with immigrants, and and she real she recognized some of the challenges that that I am having. One of them was like not knowing the programs that are available in my community, like disability agencies, like agencies that provide assistive technologies. And then she immediately referred me to a local disability agency. And I went there, they came up with a brilliant ideas. They, they borrowed me a laptop, they put all my books in, in inside that iPad and then and they, uh, they, they told me to buy um, a, a, a backpack that has wheels. And I went to school. I had only an iPad in my back. And I had that backpack with wheels that I was just you know dragging. And I was going everywhere on campus. So with a simple solution, I, I was able to finish my bachelor's and my master's. And I am currently doing my PhD. As you can notice, like we, we come into these systems from like we are not traditional. And these policies are kind of like built to, to see only like the, the regular citizen. And unfortunately, like we have policies that do not recognize the diverse population we have
1: that's such a powerful example and and i think it really points to a few things one is just the intersectional nature of people's needs like the idea that you need language training is foundational if you're if english is not your dominant language Uh, before you can consider university and also, you know, that a simple, simple solution like putting books on an iPad can make the difference between staying in school and dropping out. I remember I lost much of my vision in the midst of my first year of law school and it just started happening very fast and reading became really hard. Having a disability services office and having people who recognized I needed some help point me to the right technology was the difference between staying or dropping out. I did not have the uh, further precarity of being an immigrant or a refugee, but I, I, I really identified with your story because I too yeah. felt my disability to be this immovable barrier to my education and I didn't think I could go on. Um, and I wonder also that these solutions you describe and the flexibility that comes from designing systems that accommodate a diversity of needs, as you said, results in a better system for everybody involved. If everybody had the option of having their books on an iPad, I could see a number of different types of people that might benefit. I really think those examples are, are very powerful. You know, having had all the experiences that you've had and and advocating inside of these educational institutions and all the other wonderful and amazing work that you've done, what advice do you have for other disabled refugees who are going to follow in your footsteps?
0: There are many. (laughs) So I, I, I think the first advice I have for other refugees with disabilities is Do not believe what you hear and make sure about these false, about these misinformation that surrounds around, oh, please don't work. Don't go to school. You are going to lose your benefits. I think these are the main barriers for many, many refugees with disabilities I encountered. And there are many programs that are designed to help refugees or to help people with disabilities in general in the United States access um, education and employment. Uh, For example, Ticket to Work, Um, you have um, Stable Program, you have Medicaid Buy-in, and many, many other state programs that are designed to help you um, keep your benefits especially your medicaid at the same time work at the same time go to school um, and apply for these scholarships and please do not let these misinformation prevent you from 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 like reaching your potential another thing is that I think this advice is for for everyone. Um, and and that is it is so essential for refugees with disabilities to get to know their local um, resources. That includes advocacy groups, legal aid, human rights organizations, and most importantly, disability agencies. I, I think these are these agencies will be the will be essential for a refugee with disabilities in, in, in moving from like, from poverty to accessing, uh, employment education and becoming independent and, 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 and even, you know, like giving back to their communities. And finally, please do not give up. There are a lot of stigma there are a lot of uh, discrimination you are going to be bombarded with uh, um, because of the unique identities you are um, carrying i was like in even in my um, education i was getting attacked by because of the the refugee background i have um, or in times because i have disabilities so you are going to experience a lot of challenges but it's achievable. You can get your degrees. You can get the skills you need and again, reach your potentials.
1: And Mustafa, what would you have to say to those who set refugee and resettlement policy? What advice would you have for them?
0: We need to, first of all, recognize how our population is becoming diverse. Um, And I think it is so important Moving forward to build policies that are based on social models and recognizing policies that are based on medical models that are based on, uh, that sees refugees with disabilities or refugees in general, that sees their weakness instead of their strength. And, and one of the things, the simple things I think we can do uh, for education is Making sure we we recognize uh, some of the previous credentials that refugees, uh, especially refugees with disabilities, come from. come with. I think like recognizing credential is is very, very important. And at the same time, I think we we need to look at these training programs and making sure that individuals with these different identities, how they can access our programs. I want to give you another example. Um, I remember applying for a scholarship at um, at our local uh, rehabilitation services. Um, so someone told me, uh, since I have a disabilities, I can qualify for the scholarship that will help me for my undergrad. They took my information. They told me, yes, you are qualified. And I just need to take a, a, a test. And if I pass the test, I will, be, um, I, I will get the scholarship. So they set the date for me. I went and I took the test. Um, at that time, I was about two or three years in the United States. So I was very new to understand, to learn the culture, to learn English, to, to see like what's going on. And while I was taking the test, that test, I realized that many of the questions I was asked were questions that are designed for someone who finished high school in the United States who speak fluent English, who's familiar with the culture, and not someone who is like new to this environment. So I left home thinking that, okay, I I failed the test, but how I can tell my caseworker that this test was not fair, this test was not designed for someone like me. Um, So I asked my friend who were at that time at college, uh, and, and I asked him, like, can you give me a word that someone should know if they went to college here in the U.S.? So he gave me a word. Um, I think it was in biology. And I went, I, I, I learned how to spell it. I learned how to um, say it, pronounce it. And I, I went after 10 days to get the result. And I told my caseworker, please, before I sit, I know I failed the test, but, I'm, but I came here to help you understand the the things that I struggled through when I went through your test. And she was surprised, she was like, what are you saying? And I was like, I am going to give you a very short test. If you pass my test, then I will just walk out. I don't need any scholarship. But if you fail my test, you need to at least give me a chance to, 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 to show to you that I can go to college. I can learn. I have the ability to learn. So she was like, okay. And then um, I gave her that word that I learned. I was like, if you can spell it for me, if you can, if you can pronounce it for me, then I don't need. And then I told her, if you know the meaning, then I don't need anything. Then you pass my test. And um, so my goal was not to embarrass her. My goal was like to, to help her understand that I, I I have the ability to learn, and she couldn't um, tell me the meaning, and she couldn't spell it. And I was like, "Listen, you 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 have a master degree, and you know you couldn't answer, you couldn't you couldn't pass this simple test, and then how you think I can pass?" This test that is designed for someone who lived here, who speaks the language, who's familiar with the culture, who went to high school. And my is uh, like, ah, this is, this is like, I, she was like shocked. And she's like, let me speak with my supervisor and see how we can help you. And, you know, they agreed to give me a, a one semester scholarship with a condition that if I pass it, uh, then then you will continue giving me a scholarship. And luckily, I finished my bachelor's, I, I think my GPA was like 3.8. So this just shows you how like having these different identities, like my disability at that time, qualified me for the scholarship, but my refugee background failed me. And I think that these policies need to reflect, need to like, uh, be very inclusive to make sure these vulnerable people can go smoothly through this process. These scholarship is designed to help the, the most marginalized people in, in the society. Again,
1: what a what a powerful example, and I I really really enjoyed your gumption, <laughs> um, in with that caseworker. That's that's really amazing. So Mustafa, before we wrap up, I'd love it if you could share a little bit about the work that you're doing now. You're you're in your PhD program. Can you tell us a little bit about your research?
0: Yes, thank you. Yeah, I am um, a PhD student at Washington University. Um, I am focusing on refugees with disabilities. Um, I'm hoping to focus on education access, employment access. Um, currently, I am uh, doing a scoping review with my colleagues to explore um, the, the the needs and barriers to accessing these needs and and, and programs and services for refugees with disabilities. Um, So we are getting ready to submit this article for publications, Um, I'm very excited about it. Um, And so I am also in the process of um, collaborating with other refugee agencies, disability agencies, and I'm hoping to conduct a mixed method uh, research, uh, to look deeper into this, um, issue and, and understand how we can better assist refugees with disabilities, especially, uh, women, especially, um, refugees with disabilities who are LGBTQ or, uh, with other identities and, like, making sure how, how, how we can, help them go through this, the the, the process, to go through the systems more smoothly.
1: That's really exciting, Mustafa, congratulations. I'm very excited to read your forthcoming work and and to see what you do next. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I personally have learned so much and I know that our listeners have as well. So thank you for taking the time to, to be with us.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much.
1: This episode was produced by Alana Nevins and me. Our social media manager is Avery Annapol. Special thanks to Claire Shanley for designing our logo and to Eiffel Gangsta Beats for our theme music. If you like what you're hearing or reading, Be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you love to listen. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts and join our Facebook group, Down to the Struts podcast. If you want a monthly update from me, including news from the disability community, you can subscribe to our newsletter, Getting Down to it on Substack. If you have disability news or thoughts to share, drop us a line at downtothestruts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you in a couple of weeks so we can get back down to it.